guys, we are to the events right before the Garden of Gethsemane and the crucifixion. These events of the last week of the Savior's life are pretty intense, and we're actually right to the last full day prior to the crucifixion. And as I looked at the outline, I thought, oh, it's three chapters. This is going to be a piece of cake. And then I started reading those three chapters. It was not a piece of cake because there's a ton going on. We're approaching the Passover. And if you remember, the Savior tells his disciples to go find a man that's carrying water, tell him the master is need and prepare the chamber. And he does. And meanwhile, you have Judas doing exactly the opposite. So here's the Savior preparing for the Passover and the Acts of the Atonement. And you have Judas preparing to betray the Savior. If ever there was an example of law of opposites, right there. But what intrigued me is I've often wondered, and I've never caught this before, but I've wondered what caused Judas to want to betray the Savior. I mean, here's a guy who walked with him, has seen the miracles, done the things, has spent quality time with him, and is willing to betray him. Now, if we jump over into Mark chapter 14, and we start off with verses 10 and 11, we find the following. And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priests, yes, he, to betray Jesus unto them, for he turned away from him and was offended because of his words. And when they had heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. And as you know, foreshadowing, right? He betrays him with a very simple act. He says, the one that I kiss, you'll know that he's the savior. And that's what he does. Well, did you catch there in verse number 10? What caused Judas? What caused him was because he had turned away. Now, again, dug in. I love definitions. You know that by now. To turn away from something means to refuse to accept something that had been accepted before. Isn't that an interesting thought? If I turn away from something, I refuse to accept something that I have accepted before. And then Judas was also offended. When I'm offended, I feel resentful or an annoyance. And I love this from a perceived insult. So something that the Savior did was perceived by Judas to be an insult, not to mention he refused to accept some things that he had previously accepted. So as I sat there thinking about it, like one of the things that I thought, and I'm going to put huge carve out. I do not know if this is true or not, because I don't know what was going on in Judas's mind. But one of the things that I thought was, did Judas feel insulted by the Savior's response to him wanting to sell the ointment that Mary used? Remember the spike nerd? Was that something that got him jazzed? I don't think that that was the singular event, right? Because I don't think like if you got kind of chastised a little bit of like, hey, why would you sell that? Because I've got something better going on. But I think there was a step-by-step process that led to, okay, that's it. I'm done. I am now to the point, I got to get this person out of my life. And the way that I'm going to do it is this. Well, one of the things that we've got to understand, and one of the things that we really do need to keep front of mind is that the Savior knows each of us personally. So here in this last full day prior to the crucifixion, one of the things that he does is he sits down for the Passover feast. 
and he sits down with the person that's going to betray him along with the other 11. But little do they know that Christ is sitting down to do something else. He's not just sitting down to have the Passover feast, but instead he provides some interesting insights about them, subsequently about you and I, and presents us with something that we now use. Let me show you what I mean. If we jump into Matthew chapter 26, and we start in verse number 17, we find this. Now the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, and the disciples came to Jesus saying unto him, where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to such a man, say unto him, the master saith, my time is at hand. I'll keep the Passover in thy house with my disciples. And the disciples did it as Jesus had appointed unto them, and they made ready for the Passover. Now, when the even was come, he sat down with the twelve, and as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Now, can you imagine being at that dinner and having the Savior straight out call it? One of you guys is going to betray me. And you got to love the disciples. 22, and they were exceedingly sorrowful and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? Is it I? Now, what does it mean to betray someone? Well, if I were to betray you, I would be unfaithful to you. So as I was thinking about that, I started to contemplate the idea, in what ways am I unfaithful or do I betray the Savior in 2023? In fact, I even wrote in my scriptures, I wrote, in what ways do I betray the Savior? Question mark, big black, bold words. And as I thought about that, I was quickly reminded of an experience I had when I was in college. It was after my mission. I lived with six girls on what is known at Utah State as Darwin Avenue. I lived in Yellow Brick. Going to church was super easy because we just walked across the road, literally across the street to the Institute building. Basically, it's like being on campus without being on campus. Beautiful location. And one particular Sunday, we went to church. It was a fast Sunday. The six of us sat there together. Fast and testimony meeting, normal. After fast and testimony meeting, this was back when the block was still three hours. And so we went to Sunday school. And then after Sunday school, we went to Relief Society. After Relief Society, as we were in there, one of the things that they opted to do that particular fast Sunday was they opted to give time in Relief Society for sharing testimonies. So a handful of sisters in our Relief Society stood up and, and shared their testimony. Well, as we're sitting there, one of my roommates, I look over and she is just like sobbing. And the closing song happens. The closing prayer happens. And she is crying. And they no sooner say amen. And the girl like stands up and bolts out of there. Well, I've been sitting right next to her. So my roommates are like, hey, do you know what's wrong with so-and-so? To which I responded, no. They said, well, do you know why she was crying? And I said, I have no idea. Like, she started towards the end of sacrament meeting, but then it got like really intense here at the end of Relief Society. She was kind of okay during Sunday school. Well, as we're walking home, the five of us began talking. And for whatever reason, I got nominated to go into her bedroom and to find out what was wrong. And so I gathered my courage because remember, I don't know what to do with crying girls very well. Like I come from the suck it up, buttercup, house of boys. And so as I go in there, there's my roommate, she's bawling. And I'm like, is everything okay? She's like, no. Well, all right. Well, can I help you with something? 
And she says, no. I said, well, do you need anything? She said, no. I said, well, can I get you anything? No. Do you want me to leave? Yes. Okay. So I walk out. Well, my other roommates are all sitting in our living room. They're like, so what is it? And I said, I don't know. Every question I said to her, she answered no, except for when I asked her if she wanted me to leave. And she said, yes. Well, so we break our fast and I go back again, second time. And I go in there and I'm like, hey, we're having Sunday dinner. Do you want to come? No. She's still crying, by the way. I'm all, is there anything that I can do for you? No. Do you want to talk about it? No. Can I help you with anything? No. Do you want me to leave? Yes. So I leave again. Well, we go out and we have our Sunday dinner together, all of us. And then I get nominated a third time to go back there. So I did. And I went back and I said, look, they're going to keep sending me back here. What's going on? How can I help you? And she starts to cry. And I said, really, what, what happened? I, I was with you at church the whole time. Like, what happened? And she said, I blew it. I said, you blew it. What did you blow? I, again, I was sitting next to you in Sagar Romina. I didn't see anything happen. I didn't. She's like, that's the whole point. Nothing happened. And I said, what do you mean? She said, all of sacrament meeting, I felt like I was supposed to share my testimony. And I didn't. And I felt horrible. I knew I needed to. Like straight up knew that the spirit had asked me to. And I didn't. I told him no. She's like, and so kind of pulled it together and tried to push it down. And then we had the opportunity in Relief Society. And I felt it even stronger. And I didn't do it. She's just crying. And she said, I feel like I offended the Savior. Talk about a tender heart. Much more tender than mine, clearly. But she taught me a really important lesson. A lesson about being true to the Savior. See, the Savior asks each of us to do things. And he could easily say, one of you listening this week is going to betray me. And we have the opportunity to say, is it I? Am I going to be the one? Now, if betrayal wasn't enough to know that someone was going to be unfaithful to him. If betrayal wasn't enough, we jump to the account back in Mark and we look at verses 26 and 27. Seriously, this kills me. 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Now, I want to pause there for a second because I absolutely love that they sang a hymn. I don't know what hymn it was. I wish I did because then I would sing it for you right now. But because we don't know what it is, instead, I'm going to share a really cool scripture with you. And that scripture is found in Doctrine and Covenants section 25, verse 12. And in Doctrine and Covenants section 25, verse 12, we find a revelation given to a really cool person. Her name's Emma Smith. Revelation specifically for her and the women of the church. And in the middle of this, we find a scripture that says, For my soul delighteth in the song of the heart. Yea, the song of the righteous is a prayer unto me. And it shall be answered with a blessing upon their head. So it's no doubt there's a reason they're singing this hymn. And hymn singing has amazing power. The way that hymns can conduct our minds, and we're going to come back to this, can, can really get our mind to focus in on something. Just as a side note, did you know that if you learn something to a song, you'll retain 98% of it? That's why commercials are so crazy incredible and why I love to sing stuff. Because you're going to remember it. So they sing the hymn. They go out into the Mount of Olives. We know part of the reason is because the hymn is a prayer and we're on the Mount of Olives and what happens? And Jesus said unto them, all ye shall be offended because of me this night. 
For it is written that I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. Now, can you imagine that? Not only has he said, one of you is going to betray me, but the rest of you, everybody's going to be offended. Now, remember, to be offended is to feel resent, annoyance, or a perceived insult, which poses a super important question. So when have you felt offended by Christ or his teachings? In other words, what gospel principle have you turned away from in your life? Now, I dare say that that varies from time to time, right? On what gospel principle it is. And remember, principles are small, doctrines are big. And we can easily get offended by principles like, I'll never forget sitting, I think it was in the mid 90s, and there was a conference talking in the middle. The reason I remember is because I was totally offended by it. Because the speaker stated in general conference, there is no room in our lives for vulgarity whatsoever. I was like, are you kidding me? I have lots of room. I have room for my favorite swear words. Some of you are with me, right? You have them. I grew up with cows. Come on, give me a break. Like cows and sheep and horses. Yeah, swear words. And I was offended. Now, I'll be totally honest. I got my language cleaned up for a while. Did really, really great. I'm going to totally own to all of you. It's not always the greatest right now. But I have consciously been making an effort the past couple of weeks because I'm trying not to be offended by the Savior telling me I need to have better communication. What's interesting is I made the comment to one of my children the other day. I said, have you noticed that my language is better? Honestly, I kind of just wanted some validation. But without hesitation, the child responded, yeah, no, she don't swear as much. It's kind of cool. Oh, hit me. Hit me that my offense, my betrayal, if you will, a trickle down is impacting my children. So we don't understand the reach of our actions. But knowing that, that there may be a betrayal or there may be offense, the part that is so amazing to me about the Savior is that he loves us completely in spite of that. In spite of that, he still loved his disciples. He knew one of them was going to betray him, didn't kick him out. I would have, if I would have known someone was betraying me, like, and you're outsy from this meal, yo. But he doesn't. He's all of them there together. And in Matthew 26, he introduces something new. He introduces for us, if you will, first sacrament. Take a look at Matthew 26, verses 26 through 32. Verse 26. And they were eating and Jesus took bread and he blessed it and he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples and break it and blessed it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat this in remembrance of my body, which I give a ransom for you. Now, you and I know that a ransom is something that is paid to free someone or something else. And he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament. Testament is a covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins, the ransom of death, the remission of our sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until the day when I shall come and drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. Pause. I love that verse 29. Remember, I told you I love second coming. It's my hidden curriculum. By the way, that verse number 29 is actually talking about the great sacrament meeting at Adam on Diamond. 
when Christ will come and participate with us in the sacrament setting again. Can you imagine being there? Like having the Savior bless the sacrament? Seriously, that is like mental overload for me. But by the way, boys, that's who you represent to me and everyone else sitting in sacrament meeting. You represent the Savior. He's the one who originally did this. Verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written that I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Check out that he just stated very clearly that he is going to resurrect. Did you catch that? After I am risen again. Confidently, I don't think the disciples caught that because after he dies, they're all like super sad. They're all mourning. They do know about the resurrection. We'll get there, right? When they're like, whoa, he really did resurrect. And he did. So here we have this amazing sacrament as a symbol of his unconditional love for us of paying the ransom and giving us a remission for our sins. Or in other words, every week we have the opportunity to renew our covenants. One of the things I love about baptism, and I joked many a times that I wish that I could get baptized right before I die, right? Because the reality is, remember, we go back to a trail and a fence. My name is Candace Shu. I am a recovering sinner. I need like Sinners Anonymous, right? But it probably isn't anonymous because it's really all of us. So I'm going to go to Sinners Everybody. And in Sinners Everybody, fortunately for me, the Savior, he loves me unconditionally. And I don't need to be baptized again because I was baptized. But what I do need to do is I need to take the sacrament more seriously. See, when you and I take the sacrament seriously, what we're doing is we are actually for, I don't know, 10 to 15 minutes of the week, really just truly focusing on the Savior, giving him an accounting of what it is that we've done and committing to try to be better. That's how much he loves us. That's what he asks. Well, I know that when I take the sacrament seriously, I feel better. Even if I have used language that was offensive, even if I didn't read my scriptures every day, even if I missed some prayers, even if I lost my patience, even if, oh, here's a story. Oh my gosh. So I am one that cannot stand people who drive slow. Like it drives me crazy when people drive slow. And back a few years, like by years, I mean, we're talking like a good decade plus. I was driving down Victory Road. It's that road up that's by the Capitol in Salt Lake City. And as I was driving down it, this car pulled out in front of me and the dude was going really slow. And I'm going to totally own, I was late already to where I needed to be. So somebody who was driving slow was driving me crazy. And I began to have dialogue with this person in front of me. Many of you have done this where you're talking to the driver in the car in front of you like, yo, get out of the way, bro. You're going too slow. Are you kidding me? And so I'm having all of this dialogue with this individual who's driving in front of me, getting a little heated about it. As the traffic started to open up, I was able to get into a different lane. And at the stoplight was side to side with this car that had been driving slow. And I know some of you do this. I don't always do this. My kids tell me that I sometimes do, but that I turn and I look at like who the terrible driver was, right? So I turned to look at this terrible driver and to my horror, I am not kidding you. When I said the driver of that car that I had been chewing out the entire time, 
was none other than President Henry B. Eyring. I about died. Because here for a good five minutes, I had been totally ripping apart the way an apostle of the Lord drives his car. Now, you can imagine the conversation and the prayer that I had as I was going actually to a speaking engagement at a, like a young men or young women's activity. Like, Heavenly Father, I'm sorry. I just totally have betrayed and offended you <laughs> and one of your servants. In spite of that, this is how much the Savior loves us. John chapter 13. He does something else that night. Verse 4. He rises from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was girded. Now, think about it. The Savior is washing feet. Let's contextualize this a little bit because in washing the feet, you've got to remember that we're living in Jerusalem. We're living in the meridian of times. Their feet would have been pretty dang dirty because remember, they're wearing sandals. And I don't know about you, but after walking around in dirt and dust in my sandals, my feet are pretty bad. So here's the Savior. What does he do? Knowing that the disciples have been walking and all kinds of things. He pours water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. He gives us this amazing example of humility and servant leadership. This easily symbolizes his own humility and his willingness to serve others as it was a task that was typically done by servants. Verse 6. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, Dost thou wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not, but now, but thou shalt know hereafter. And Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. I think I probably feel the same way. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said unto him, He that is washed needeth not, save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. So did you catch that? He's washing them how so that they are clean every whit. I love Peter, because here he gives us an example of submitting. By allowing someone else to wash your feet, you are showing a submission and a trust in that person's authority and his guidance. Now, what I love is that the Savior, he washes everybody's feet there, but states, is clean every whit, and ye are clean, comma, but not all. Why? Because one's going to betray him. Verse 12, so after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know you what I've done to you? You call me master and Lord and say, well, so am I. If I then your Lord and master have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye in that you do them. Now, He is in no way insinuating that you and I need to go around washing each other's feet. The 
deeper meaning there is, is a commitment to serve others, often spiritually and physically. Confident, many of you have already heard a quote by President Kimball where he talks about often we are the answers to other people's prayers. By simply showing up or doing something, we can answer somebody else's prayers. We're his hands, we're his feet on the ground, we're his eyes. Humility, submission, and service. Well, why would the Savior teach these things? Well, in the same chapter here in chapter 13 of John, you jump over to verses 34 and 35. You're going to recognize this. I can barely read these two verses without singing. They read, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall men know that ye are my disciples, if you have loved one to another. Now, I love those verses and I love that song. I think I love the song more, though, because one of my friends thought that um, the, the chorus went, by this shalmeno, and asked one of her teachers what a shalmeno was. But you and I know that it's by this shall men know that ye are my disciples if you have loved one to another. So really, as we're talking about this last full day in the Savior's life, one of the deeper issues that he's teaching us here is he's teaching us about agency. That really, when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you and I, we have a choice. We have a choice on how we show up and approach the Savior. He has already expressed his unconditional love to you and I. But will we be like Judas and betray him? Or will we be like the rest of the 12 and be offended? Or will we follow him? And will we love unconditionally? Now, to love unconditionally means. It's a no matter what. To love no matter what. There's not a condition. I love you if. No, I just, I just love you. Why? Because I do. I love you. And guess what? The Savior loves you even when you betray him. He loves Judas. He loves President Nelson. You got Peter who betrays him three times that night. Still loves him. Yeah, me, who sometimes swears like the inner farmer that I am, he still loves me. So will you go, will you go and choose this week to love unconditionally those with whom you come in contact? But maybe more importantly, will you go and choose to love the Savior unconditionally by focusing on him for the time that you're participating in the sacrament? You know the most important 10 to 15 minutes of your week when you actually have the opportunity to renew your covenants and to be as clean as you were the day you were baptized. I know that as you and I choose to focus on the Savior and to love him, we will betray him less and be offended less. And in so doing, love others more. So by this shameno, that you are his disciples. Go in love. Choose to love. Most importantly, choose to love him. Make the sacrament amazing this week. And then tell us about it. 
Take care. Thanks for listening to the Go and Do podcast. We would love it if you would leave us a review and click follow where you listen to your podcasts. We'd also appreciate hearing from you. Feel free to email us at thegoanddopodcast at gmail.com or connect with us on Instagram at goanddopodcast. The Go and Do Podcast is created by me, Candace Shoup, and produced by Cami Fisher. We love having you follow along and look forward to hearing from you.